Well, after a tumultuous week of football activities, we probably all needed a nice, unbelievably dull nil-nil draw to settle the nerves ahead of, yeah. you know, semi-final, Liverpool semi-final. Um, There's more excitement to come. Yeah, it was pretty dull. I, I wasted a oh. couple hours of my life on that and then followed that up with City versus Spurs, which was equally dull. Yeah, I um, my plan was... Right, we set the record. It's like not. It's quarter to nine in the UK right now. So the game was hours ago. Finished hours ago. My plan was finish the game, watch match of the day, watch the Carling Cup final to talk to Carling. It's not anyway. Um, <laughs> Showing your age there. <laughs> watch the Rumbelows Cup the final. Milk cup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then um, do do the show and do the backers content. But I just got in a complete strop with football uh, during this game and went out instead. Because the thing is, it would have been fine, but the sun was shining. And it's been a long, cold, lonely winter um, in the UK. And uh, so having the sun out and watching that was uh, really offensive. The, the, the Talking of really offensive, the, the most entertaining part of this game was Harry Maguire telling Fred that he's a f***ing idiot. <laughs> 72 minutes in, <laughs> United's best shot on target, that one. Uh, oh, Rashford's free kick just before half-time was nice. Four shots uh, on target we had in this game. It was uh, lacking in creativity, you could say. Honestly, uh, United are not always good when Paul Pogba plays, but they are always bad when Paul Pogba does not play. So, like, you know, there's there's a significant correlation there. Um the uh, yeah, Duncan Castle's at pain to point out that Ole started with a back six and United only had four shots on target because there's something wrong with him. Um, uh, four shots on target. I mean, a lot of shots. I mean, it's not, it's not like United weren't having shots; they just weren't high quality. Efforts. They were just getting blocked, right? They were, I mean, yeah. a friend of the show, Andrew Yaxley, pointed out that actually this was very, very, very well, very good defending from Leeds. Like they defended tigerishly as a unit. Then United had no time or space on the ball. They stifled the kind of key creative outlets, um, and they couldn't. And United, as attacking players, couldn't create those moments of magic you need. Um, I thought Solskjaer, as, as basically always, I mean, he gave Pogba 15 minutes and it's Ramadan and um, Pogba's been fasting and there's a semi-final on Thursday, but it felt kind of strange that did. And, and you know, especially the semi-final on Thursday thing doesn't really make sense when Rashford played 85 minutes and Bruno played, you know, 90, whatever, 89. And then... yeah. Um, uh, the, subs, some, the subs again were really frustrating, weren't they? So you know, weird. Seventy-seven minutes, eighty-seven minutes, and 90, 90 minutes. I mean, I, I guess what, what we're really talking about is like Solskjaer is prioritizing Thursday. Yeah, which you can understand because United have a nice cushion over Leicester, and you know if this was if they were going to rotate in in one of the games coming up, I guess this is the one to do it in. So yeah. fair enough, and we complain a lot about not rotating. It's just you know some of the some so fine. Pogba gets a rest, and he's been important recently. But Bruno doesn't get a rest. Was a bit odd. I mean, the, just the whole thing's very odd. The, Cavani coming on in the eighty seventh minute. Yeah, like statistically, what's the difference between Cavani coming on in the eighty seventh minute and not coming on at all? It's got to be relatively small. Not that like he couldn't do something in the six minutes or whatever that he got, but yeah. It, you know, if you brought him on, and people were all saying like, "Well, they're saving him for Thursday," and you, well, 
give him give him 20 minutes i know i refer to this all the time but and i wish i could find the source of it but um i've heard ollie gonna solskjaer say as a substitute i always felt you needed 20 minutes to make an impact on a game it's like he's completely forgotten that the van der Beek one is is just insulting why why do you bring i mean why would you bring Bruno off and Van der Beek on in the 90th minute? What What are you trying to achieve? Are you wasting the 30 seconds or whatever? You know, wasting the time when only 30 seconds Maybe, gets yeah. added on for a sub, but to, to get a nil-nil draw against... Lee. I mean, anyway, it was just, it's just weird. It's not having a big strop about it because it's fine, right? None of it matters. <laughs> no, <laughs> at all. Uh, so United have scored 10 goals um, from substitutes. This yeah. season and more goals than anyone else, 48, I think it is, uh, from in the second half of games, right? So that would tell you that, that Solskjaer is getting his subs right. And, uh, you know, that's a pretty yeah. good evidence. Uh, and a lot of those Cavani, of course, who's come off the bench to good effect. Um, but, I, you know, this was also evidence of, of Ollie doing what he does most of the time, which is fairly conservative substitutions. Anyway, this is a bit nitpicky. Um, in, in a game that like has taken on less importance. Yeah. With with five games to go, nice cushion, a very nice cushion over fifth place. It it I you know to probably only need a one more win uh, in order to, you know, qualify for next season's super champions mega league. Yeah, Florentino Perez said this week, um, maybe we've got the format wrong. Maybe the top four teams from the top leagues should qualify. I think there's something wrong with them. More on that later. Um, uh, it's worth saying at this point that um, Aston Villa have unfortunately only drawn or just about to finish their game where they've only drawn with uh, West Brom, which is a real shame because if they'd won it, Arsenal would be 11th, which is just really enjoyable. While we're talking about United, you know, being fed up about a, a slightly boring game where United kind of didn't win after a bunch of wins on the bounce. I don't know. It... It's fine, and the, the the unbeaten run in the league, in away from home rather, goes on and on and on and on, which is is marvelous. I, I suspect we probably would have won this game if we'd only gone one uh, nil down early. We probably would have uh, fought well, back and fought back and won it. Well, you know, look, Leeds, Leeds did um, what they didn't do in the game at Old Trafford and, and narrowed the pitch down. You know, Johan Cruyff used to say you want to make the pitch as big as you can when you're attacking and as small as you can when you're defending. And, and Leeds didn't do that. They allowed United to stretch the game and, and find passes in, in between the lines in, in that game at Old Trafford. And, and Leeds were just gung-ho throughout and they did the opposite here. And we've seen that side of Leeds this season, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, when they want to defend, they can defend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they did that very well. Um, they didn't create anything as a result. Um, I guess they, you know, they were prioritising getting something out of this game, which you, I guess you can kind of understand after what happened at Old Trafford, and so they yeah. did. Yeah, and and they they played very well individually. Leeds did defensively. You know, that there was no lapses of concentration, no running out of energy. You know, it did didn't stop trying, and you know there were there was and there was lots of moments of defensive quality from United as well. Individual blocks and tackles. Only one moment where Victor Lindelof passed the ball out to a Leeds player under absolutely no pressure for no reason whatsoever. But I can't have everything. Um, Leeds didn't get in behind Maguire and Lindelof too often. Just one one that I can think of where they really threatened to turn them um and yeah i mean whatever it was it, it it was a it was two hours of our lives it happened I had some brief hope when pogba came on but 
you know. I mean, every, literally everyone who isn't related to one of these players would have had a better afternoon if they hadn't watched the game. But, you know, it's fine. Sometimes football is pointless and makes you question the purpose of existence. And, some, <laughs> and sometimes it's great. So, you know, that's the risk you run, right? Well, that that's it. If everything was guaranteed and there's, you know, no competition to see who won and lost, it would be uh, it'd be very boring, there's, wouldn't it? it? It'd be the Super League. This is it, what, I, what I need is six to seven minute highlight packages of high level football. It, like children today just don't like, you know, long games like this. They just need it, you know... Um, Compressed, don't they? It's 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 like when we were kids and they had NFL highlights, and I always thought, having seen only NFL highlights and not having actually watched the whole game for many many years of my life, that NFL was quite exciting until I sat through four hours of absolute turgid <laughs> someone throwing a ball now and again, but hardly ever. But this was two hours of absolutely turgid stuff of people passing a ball now and then, but mostly not successfully. <laughs> I don't know the quality of execution in attacking. I mean, I'm trying not to be, I'm trying not to be too reactive or too miserableist. As you may be able to tell, I did feel a distinct lack of enthusiasm, which I do think is partly because, like, oh great, Man United are playing. Man United, the club that were instrumentally involved in trying to destroy football as we know it, um, what well, just this time a week ago, you know, um, like. I know, slightly re-energised by all the protests and, you know, the very clear sense that the club is, um, the club doesn't really belong to the people that the club belongs to, as it were. Um, well, that, that sort of works both ways. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a tough watch. And, and it was, there was some good defending, but there was some really sloppy passing. And, and it felt, it did feel, hopefully this is before the Lord Mayor's show, and the team are really gearing up for for the big triple header over the next few, the next week. Yes, and and I guess we'll come to Roma in a in a little bit. Uh, but um, but the makeup of that attacking unit, the midfield unit, is going to be pretty crucial, isn't it? Just you know the difference between um, Pogba being in a midfield two or you know left side of of the three up front um, and us having McFred in the side uh, is is night and day in terms of creativity. And, and you know, you often get, I mean, United had drawn 10 Premier League games this season. Um, and I think I think I read a stat that uh, across all competitions, we've had seven nil-nil draws. Um, so it's, you know, there there is this tendency. At the same time, 64 goals, second only to City. Juiced a little bit by that nine against Southampton, of course, and, but and six against Leeds, and six against Leeds. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it does bend the stats somewhat. Yeah. Um, but, but they happened. But they happened, you know, and and sixty four goals is a good return. It's so weird, man. This season's one of the weirdest seasons ever. Sort of fitting that all the Super League stuff happened in the middle of this season, because no fans makes it weird anyway. Because, uh, you know, when the football's bad, you can always sort of distract yourself thinking about what's going on in the stands. And when you're in the stands, it doesn't matter whether the football's bad or not, basically. Except for, you know, the the doldrum days of the Louis van, da- van Gaal era. It got it got a bit much even for people in the stands. But basically, going to the football is always good. So without that, um, United are second. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but they've got a reasonably good chance of winning European silverware. 
in a semi-final. Um, and yet, uh, it it's so hard to know. It, it just does not feel like it's been a good season. You know, it, it hasn't felt good for most of it. There's been feel good, plenty of feel good moments, and that's been been kind of sustaining after you know certainly like compared to Mourinho times or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I just cannot wait for the season to be done. I cannot wait not to have to watch Man United for a few weeks, you know. Yeah, and then we can have an endless summer of transfer speculation. So I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. September the 2nd, United will have signed no one of any consequence, okay? That's it. Just, you know, leave, you know, save your summer, enjoy your summer, go sit on the beach, don't read the back papers. Um, Anyway, I I haven't got anything else to say about this game. Me neither. Shall we shall we talk about um, the ongoing saga of the Super League and then we can preview Roma and uh, Liverpool? Well, I hear, I have it on good authority, right? Don't know if you know this, Ed. But Ed Woodward, right, turns out the reason he's leaving his job as Man United CEO, uh, cushy, extremely well-paid, very high-profile, very ego-soothing job that he's had for a long time, it's because he's so committed to the football pyramid. That's he it. Couldn't, he couldn't bear to be a part of this betrayal of football as we know it. Now, you might argue that that's a very interesting position to take for someone whose resignation only came out after the whole thing had cap- collapsed or someone who maybe um, was instrumentally responsible in heaping hundreds of millions of pounds of debt onto one of English football's most precious institutions and has overseen a calamitous collapse from, you know, uh, a powerhouse of English football to also runs who, in whose leaving statement, it pointed out that a billion pounds had been spent on his watch and he had overseen the victories in one League Cup, one FA Cup and one Europa League. Hell of a return on investment. The credulity of his not just not just the pictures this is we'll we'll have a big conversation about this sorry it's very ranty but um the neil ashton stuff is absolutely disgusting like we don't know this is happening but this is fake news this is a well-placed behind the scenes network of journalists um unquestionably unquestioningly pumping out the same line but also his actual real life friends who I'm fairly convinced he's lying to their face um, about why he's left and then they're repeating the lie and then nobody actually believes any of it because nothing about that tallies up with a single thing that any of us know whatsoever about this individual. Like, this is cowardice of the highest order and such... Oh, it's so slimy, Ed. It's so slimy. It's, It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so his acolytes, is that the right word? Well, Gary Ashton's Lineker. acolytes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ashton's yeah. acolytes, yeah. Um, have been uh, supporting him. Uh, it doesn't pass the sniff test, does it? So at all, um, this is not true. Ed Woodward did not resign um, because he's regularly seen in the terraces at the peninsula watching Salford because he really cares about lower league football and he's, he's uh, manning the barricades with Gary Neville. You know, I don't think so. 
Um, he he has been involved with this for months. He is the like to believe Woodward's story, you'd have to believe that the Glazers excluded Woodward from any of this for months, perhaps even years of planning. Um, I mean, crap planning, given the launch, but planning <laughs> nonetheless. Well, that, uh, that, 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 I tell you what, that is not the crapness of the planning is evidence that Edward Wood was involved, not well, evidence quite, that he quite. wasn't. And there was, you know, un, unnamed quotes of uh, other um, uh, CEOs in the Premier League saying, no, no, he was absolutely involved. Yeah. For a very, and in fact, driving it. So we'd have to believe that the Glazers left out their most trusted lieutenant. Um, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, of course, Woodward knew. Of course, he was trying to push it through. He's gone because, you know, he's rightly recognised, or most likely Joel Glazer has rightly recognised, that he has no credibility left after this collapse because he can't he can't he has he has no ability to work with his peers in in Premier League football or in UEFA he'd already resigned from all the committees and the ECA and and UEFA so what what can he do i mean he can he can manage his company but the the thing is in sports unlike many other businesses you need to you know you need to play against another team you need to collaborate with your competitors mm. all of the time. Um, and so, you know, it's completely untenable, his position. So that's why he had to go. Um, whether he's fired or he jumped, I don't know. But the, the bullshit spin that, that this is some kind of high-minded principle, yeah, forget it. Um, as Harry Maguire might say, an idiot. <laughs> the thing is, like, you got the Battle of the Garys, right? Where Gary Lineker's going, he's a man of integrity, and um, Gary Lineker's quote, uh, Gary Neville is quote tweeting the Sky story that he left because he loves, you know, because he didn't believe in the ESL with um, just a family for just a YouTube link, and when you click on it, it's just a family for survey says, which is <laughs> really enjoyable. You've got, like you said, you've got the other um, unnamed sources from within the other team saying this is absolutely nonsense and exactly what you said there's no way that any of these uh the, these ceos have a tenable position in the premier league and we you know we are at the beginning of the fallout from this thing and i think we should we should probably talk about that a little bit yeah one one further piece of evidence that the idea that this was sprung on woodward at the last minute seems far-fetched is that the um the current story that's coming out although my god who you believe when stories are coming out of downing street about who knew what as the uh, Cummings and uh, Boris Johnson stuff suggests. Are, are there any text messages between Woodward and <laughs> Boris at all? They well, may come out. Um, uh, Man United, this is uh, from Caroline Wheeler on her Twitter account because journalism is really bad now. Um, <laughs> saying uh, Man United boss Ed Woodward met Dan Rosenfeld, uh, the number 10 chief of staff on Wednesday of last week. Rosenfeld is also a Man United fan. If you listen to this, Dan Rosenfeld, you're not welcome. Turn it off now. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> Come on the show and explain yourself and we, we want the receipts. No, no way. I'm no platforming Tories on this show. The chief of staff of Boris Johnson's government is not coming on this show. <laughs> He can if he's got the dirt. I want the dirt. <laughs> Don't you know? You can't trust it. They're all self-interested liars. 
Uh, anyway, um, number 10 claimed the meeting was to discuss the safe re- return of fans and COVID certification, but Rosenfeld is understood, uh, Rosenfield is understood to have told Woodward that Downing Street would not stand in the way of the Super League plan. It is alleged that this was done without consulting the Prime Minister. <laughs> alleged by the Prime Minister, presumably, <laughs> yes. retrospectively, when it turned out to be unfavourable. Uh, number 10 complained that the Super League was not raised at the meeting. Surprising, given the club's preparing plans under instructions from the CEOs from April the 13th. And club owners had wanted to launch a Super League on Thursday, April the 15th. But this was rejected by Liverpool, who didn't want to do it on the Hillsborough anniversary. Uh, Class from a Man United fan. Clap, clap, clap. Um, Woodward went back to people planning the Super League and effectively said that the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff had given the project the green light. Positive noises from Downing Street were understood to have been communicated to those behind the Super League on the Saturday and was apparently important in the final decision to launch. This has been denied by Ed Woodward. When the story broke on Sunday and DCMS, uh, Department for Culture, Media and Sport for uh, overseas listeners, went hard against the plans, Rosenfield is understood to have intervened to get them to tone down the response. Allegedly, this was apparently this was done in the form of emails. He also allegedly intervened to try to get Oliver Dowden um the minister uh, yeah um to tone down his statement dcms deny this and claim at no point did anyone try and persuade them to change their response boris johnson is always said to have been against the plans <laughs> we have yeah, always f- been famous football loving <laughs> yeah. boris johnson yes yeah, so, I, I mean boris who, who t- took an opportunity here to be populist and he does have a good instinct for that doesn't he and i think that's why yeah uh, Boris um, came out so hard against it. I mean, the the idea the, uh, going along with this is, is, of course, the threat from Johnson. Uh, he was p- apparently prepared to drop a legislative bomb, quote unquote, mm. um, on this, which, which would have been, I would say, challenging. So um, I have um, uh, heard on other podcasts and, and read some opinions from people who look at competition law that that would have been, you know, a fairly significant rewrite of competition law, um, rather than a, you know a simple piece of primary primary legislation. So you know I don't know whether that really came with any teeth, but the idea that um, you could so thoroughly disrupt um, a leading um, light of the UK's soft power infrastructure, uh, you know, so thoroughly um, without number ten like giving it at least the implicit thumbs up is, you know, it's fanciful, isn't it? You know, of course, of course, of course they needed that go ahead. And of course that meeting had some discussion of Super League. I mean, again, does not pass the sniff test to, to, to say that it did not, you know. Out of United and the other clubs involved um, is very high. Um, yeah. Including from uh, Senor Perez at uh, Real Madrid, who did three interviews since we last recorded. Each one of them completely mental. I mean, what? <laughs> my my head was going. Wah! Um, so let, let's let's um, let, let's review the proposals so, from, so from Perez. D- he what well, he had he had done one by the time we recorded because we made because the, the sixteen to twenty four thing had already come out because we made the point that. 16 to 24 year olds can't afford football it's not as yes. we've seen at every single one of the protests that we've seen there's been quite a lot of 16 to 24 year olds quite a lot of young people not just football. old fat guys yeah. no exactly so hey. yes so that that one um he also proposed was it in that one or a later interview shortening the game thing that was in the first one 
Um, he's he's also said that uh, the twelve clubs have signed binding contracts. Now that that's been rejected somewhat, so it may be that this is just a letter of intent. We'll see on that one. Um, I imagine there are plenty of clauses in there um, that allow these teams to get out because otherwise they wouldn't have pulled out so readily if they were about to be paying millions in in uh, penalty clauses. Um, what else has he said? Um, this is coming back. He's he's very confident. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, as well as his his uh, suggestion that maybe it should just be the the top four of the big leagues. Uh, <laughs> does France count as a big league in this? Because otherwise, that would be sixteen sure. teams. Yeah, he um, he he said the thing about um, how it's so weird that the rich clubs haven't. It can't be right that the rich clubs haven't got any money. <laughs> No, you're right. You're right, Florentino. It cannot be right that a club that has the revenues of the scale of Real Madrid and is currently well, they, like they're refurbing the new camp. They're not adding. They're not adding any capacity to the new camp. They're just basically putting a ben roof Bain. on it. Yeah, uh, on the ba- on the Bernabeu. Sorry, but, but new camp was supposed to be uh, refurbished as well, and they've had some very fancy plans for about four years now, and haven't done it because they've got 1.2 billion euros worth of debt. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's insane. Yes, um, I mean, it's a it's a while since I've done much accounting, but <laughs> I can I'm, read a simple P and L. And when the number at the bottom is bigger than the number above it, it's got a problem. <laughs> yeah, you know when Florentino, you know when Excel automatically turns one cell red. What that means is that's you know, listen. The um, there's this the legendary tweet that's like you know rent five hundred dollars, food two hundred and fifty dollars, bills whatever whatever, candles four hundred and fifty million dollars a month. Somebody who's good at budgeting, please help me with this. My family are dying. Um, and somebody did a version of that which had just like instead of candles had Ed and Hazard one hundred and thirty million. Could somebody who's good at budgeting help me, please? My football club is dying. Like this is th- this is the most self inflicted harm that's ever existed. The harm that um, Real Madrid and Barcelona are currently undergoing. Yeah. And, and it, interestingly, way- it came out. Um, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, no, um, please do. It, it came out that uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona were going to get 15% more of the revenues from this project than the other founding clubs, which which was interesting. They negotiated that and obviously believed their pull was bigger. Um, digging into the proposals, of course, you know, and one of the reasons why they're so aggressive, it's not just that the 15 founders or 12 um, were going to share the spoils of this league and not have to share it with the other 32 clubs in the Champions League. It's that they were going to sell their own rights. Not for all the games, but for three of their home games um, per normal part of the season. Playoffs could be extra on top of that. And if you think, you know, just do a back of an envelope sum on this. You know, Manchester United, a billion fans uh um, (laughs) around the world, just take some tiny percentage of them prepared to pay five pounds, dollars, euros, yen or whatever to to watch that or to subscribe in some, you know, some some platform somewhere um and it's huge money i mean mm. it would dwarf in one game probably the entire broadcast revenue that united get currently so you can kind of see why everyone was wetting their knickers over this one um it's just they that's all they could see you know the big piles mm. of cash um and nothing else 
And and what's you know I I sorry for any retry. I didn't go back and I should have meant to go back and listen to what we did on Tuesday to see what we'd covered and what we hadn't because I don't remember a single word of that that show. I have to say because um, I was pretty tired when we did it. Um, and also I remember almost everything in every podcast I've ever listened to and almost nothing about any podcast I've ever done. It's a weird weird thing. Anyway, um, the. Uh, the nature of the alliance, I think, was just the, the thing that was most profoundly misunderstood. So, you know, you said you made the little correction, 15 founder clubs. Oh, wait a minute, 12, because everyone, they all assumed that Dortmund and Bayern and PSG would be those other three founding clubs. But they, they I mean, obviously, they misunderstood the fact that the German clubs would never do this because they just would never do it because 50 plus one. And maybe you could see Munich doing it. Dortmund, Dortmund, what's wrong oh, with you people? Um, and then, and then it's just about misunderstanding soft power. So, um, PSG's alliance lies with UEFA. That we definitely talked about um, on Tuesday. The the Premier League is a massive. It's England's only soft power, basically. Don't really export television, not like the the US does. Uh, maybe a little bit music, maybe a little bit of the kind of um, the the kind of cultural history stuff. But my God, the Premier League is like is it's not massive in terms of numbers. It's big in terms of numbers, but in terms of influence and uh, sure. making the country relevant, it's it's huge. So well, you know, we, we were talking in the WhatsApp group about um, you know the uh, the 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 way the CIA um, gets involved in the arts industry as a way of you know exporting its power. Right? It's not always about using guns and shooting people. Um, but the Premier League is recognised by billions of people around the world. You know, it's it's uh, apart from the arts and crafts in in yeah the arts and media industry um, that's been utterly decimated by the pandemic. Um, it's the UK's best export. You know, not, yeah. not in terms of money, obviously that's financial services. But um, anyway, this had a really significant impact on the power structures. So. Yeah, the twelve are now booted out of all UEFA committees, and and uh, well, they all resigned, didn't they? And they're not involved in the European Club Association. Um, and and uh, Paris Saint Germain's uh, Nasser Al Khalifi has is now the president of ECA. You know, so Paris Saint Germain and Bayern are now, you know, they they got the gamble correct, right, and the calculation correct. They are now super powerful in European circles in a way that. Um, United weren't really, um, but none of the other 12 are anymore, you know. So interesting turn of events. And we haven't heard anything about punishments from UEFA or Premier League or anything, although, you know, we'll see whether everyone's, you know, very angry about this still. And and, uh, apparently a lot of Premier League clubs lobbying for stuff to happen. Um, Probably not against clubs, but probably against individuals. And we'll see whether that happens or not. You know, there has to be consequences. Otherwise, this comes around next time the, the cycle's up for a renewal again in three years' time. It's going to come I don't, back I in don't some think, form. I, I think this is this is the thing. Miguel Delaney wrote a really interesting article about this, which was um, this was their nuclear weapon and it's blown up in their face. Like, th- this is this is the thing. Every three years, every cycle, it's like, well, UEFA, you better do what we want because... Otherwise, I'm so sorry. We'll have to go off and form a Super League. Next time, you're going to be like, yeah, all right, mate. Go and form a Super League. See how that goes. But they got almost everything they wanted, right? So 
In in terms of the reform of the Champions League, they will take more of the cash. They it's now going to be a joint venture between the large clubs or the ECA and um, and UEFA, um, and more of that money will flow up to the most successful teams, the highest ranked teams. What they didn't get was you know it completely closed um, and and shared amongst fifteen rather than thirty two or it looks like thirty six. So, but but next time they're not getting everything they want because they don't have a bargaining chip anymore. This t- the, the fact that they got everything they wanted almost and still did this shows you how insane their hubris was. And this isn't going to happen. Players can talk about this coming around in three years' time. The unilateral rejection of this from every arena of um, politics and every arena of football, uh, you know, fans, broadcasters, print journalists, just every single power broker in football, apart from the people behind these 15 clubs, rejected this. It's not coming back. No no way. And so, you know, what they have done is massively disempower themselves. And basically, they've just lost a catastrophic battle against UEFA now. You talked about punishments. One of the things that happens a lot when uh, punish... I've seen a lot of discourse around this is um, it wouldn't be fair to punish the clubs in terms of points deductions transfer bans because the fans haven't done anything wrong the players haven't done anything wrong the staff haven't done anything wrong you know playing staff i mean the you know coaches and stuff that's not how football works like every punishment ever and um You know, I've seen it argued that, well, you know, sometimes fans might have benefited from the ride that the clubs took that got them in trouble. But there's plenty of examples when uh, no meaningful enjoyment was gained by fans while clubs were bled dry by insidious people and went into administration and massive points deductions, massive fines. Like these clubs absolutely deserve huge points deductions. That's uh, uh, going into next season. They should start with a 20 point points deduction each. Basically, especially City, yeah, mm-hmm. and Liverpool. Um, so, <laughs> unfortunately, I think we were the ringleaders. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially so Man United. There, there is a clause in the Premier League contract which has been much discussed um, about good faith, and clearly, this was not in good faith. Clearly, so I think there are grounds. It's just the calculation that the fourteen um, who are having meetings without the other six um, at the moment. Um, have to make about how much, you know, because they still got to be in a competition uh, with these teams and the calculation about whether this will stimulate another form of a breakaway to punish them too heavily or or what, what you know, what kind of disincentive they need, you know, or have these clubs been so so thoroughly embarrassed that no further punishment is needed? You know, we'll, we'll see. And, and uh, we may see more over the summer and there's not much else to talk about other than, you know, how, how the 14 are going to get revenge on the six. But the thing is, if this happens, there'll be loads of United fans going, this is so unfair, it's disgusting, they can't believe they did this to us. And that won't be the, it won't be the right take. You know, I would get the emotion of that take. But um, also, by the way, like if you took 20 points off all of these people, uh, one of them is probably still going to win the league, you know, most likely. Um Maybe you'd get a, a Leicester winning the league, maybe, um, or, or a West Ham. <laughs> um, uh, the, the other thing that I, I, I think is absolutely crazy is Perez thinking that he had this rock-solid alliance. And I guess they, he must have assumed that's why he keeps 
blathering on about it. He must have assumed that the paperwork really was rock solid because why he would have thought, well, I think it's because he wouldn't have thought about it, but why he would have thought that Man City, whose entire existence is as in its current form is predicated on good PR, would have participated in something that was universally hated if it turned out it was universally hated. You know. Yes, I mean, I mean, this is this is why the planning is so poor. I mean, the what well, we've seen nothing of. We've seen some contrition, right? Afterwards, you know, the, the kind of wooden statement from uh, Fenway. Uh, I was going to come on to talk about this exactly next. Yeah, the the hostage video he did and sort of <laughs> apologising for it. We've had the the PR written statement from Joel Glazer, which was completely disingenuous and and. Um, spin in the papers, uh, uh, pointing out that Abramovich was, you know, embarrassed by what had happened, and you talked about City, you know. So we had a little bit, but but the idea that they were going to, you know, cause this such massive disruption, they had the arrogance and the hubris to not even go sell it. The, the, the thought that they could do this, and then we don't even have to talk to our stakeholders, politicians, broadcasters, players. Fans, you know, we're well down the list, aren't we? Um, and and not even put up a spokesperson during the week to try and defend it. I mean, it's 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 incredible, incredible hubris. Um, anyway, so you know, we're not we're not going to get it for now. What we are going to get is a reformatted Champions League, and and I actually I think it's going to be a much worse product. And mm. although this has been agreed, and you know, the thing you get when you have a committee of clubs trying to agree something is not always you know the best solution. Um, you know, we're going to get the Swiss model much talked about. It looks like we'll get 10 guaranteed games. We may even retain that um, that round of 16 um, uh, game as well. So it could be extra, four extra games um, for anyone who gets through to the knockout stages, and, and which is basically the death knell for the League Cup, or it'll be under 23 sides in the League Cup. Um, and so it's, and there's going to be a lot of, you know, teams at the bottom of those groups um, or near the bottom of that league, playing each other in completely meaningless games. Mm. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of, you know, over 100 more games a season in the Champions League, but a lot of dross. Uh, okay, good, good to Juan tweeting uh, his kind of dislike of... Uh, that particular turns out if you have got your phone in your hand and you say ilk gundogan it thinks you're saying okay google which is not what i was saying um, but anyway uh, he 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 tweeted complaining about it um but i wanted to come back to the joel glazer apology because from a united perspective i guess this is uh, the most significant thing really in the kind of um the we should talk about the Let's, let's do this in order. Joel, Joel Glazer on the Wednesday, I think, um, said, over the past few days, blah, 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 we've witnessed a great passion which football generates and the deep loyalty our fans have for this great club. Um, blah, we got it wrong. Or you, We demonstrated your very clear opposition and we have listened. We got it wrong and we want to show we can put things right. This is the paragraph. Um, although the wounds are raw and I understand it will take time for the scars to heal, I'm personally committed to rebuilding trust with our fans and learning from the message you delivered with such conviction. Now, first of all, his brother was then doorstepped by a mirror journalist and refused to apologise. So let's uh, let's get this straight if you want to know the level of um, actual contrition here. I did think it was significant that he was rattled enough to to put this letter out under his name. I nearly said to write this letter, which is a different thing altogether. Um, 
It's the first time we've heard from him since 2005. Yeah. And um, and my man is oh, out. Well, no, no, no. We did, like, to be fair, we did hear a little bit um, when they IPO'd, you know. Oh, yeah. A little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah, Not yeah, to yeah. the fans, though. Not no, to the fans. Was, no, there's no, no, no communication no. to the fans. That was just communication to investors. Fans haven't heard from them since 2005. And this man is out here saying rebuilding trust. Well, now, I, tell you, I tell you what, look, it's not going to be everything, but Harland, Sancho, Bellingham in the summer, it might go a little way to rebuilding my trust. Rebuilding. Do you, this man does not know what rebuild is. Do you know what the re in rebuilding implies? It implies that once upon a time there was trust. Now, yeah. I don't know if you remember every single fan in the stadium chanting, wishing death upon your father, Joel Glazer, or chanting about you personally being attacked, thrown on a bonfire, hit with hammers. What about that suggested that there was trust um, what about the in 2010, the thousands of United fans marching to the gla- game singing We Want Glazers Out, said We Want Glazers Out, um, with Gil and Glazers pickpockets on a giant banner. Um, pick P-I-K, right? Um, these people are deluded! Like, you rebuilt jelly and ice cream when Glazer dies. That's what Man United fans... I'm not I'm not saying I like that, by the way. I'm not saying I enjoy wishing death upon people. I'm just Which saying... Which flavour of ice cream did you have? <laughs> Cookie dough for me. It was good. Um, the, the thing about it is, the level of, like, um, the, the sheer disgusting uh, delusion... Of this now, um, what then came as a consequence, partly as a consequence of this statement, was that the morning after that, on essentially Man United's first day of actual training all season, which is probably slightly unfortunately timed for various reasons, um, a group of protesters arrived at Carrington um, yeah. and had a frank discussion with um, Ole. M- frank Mike- but civilized, absolutely. Uh, unlike some reporting on this, you know. Yeah. This was peaceful and and it was a discussion with Ollie and Matic. Yeah, Carrick, Matic, Fletcher, the, which uh, Matic was clear, clearly maybe doing some coaching or whatever because this was the coaching group. Um, and, you know, there's a few funny behind the scenes things that we heard about. And uh, and, and Ollie said, you know, he, he said, Joel loves the club. And this was a kind of rabbit in the headlights moment. And I don't, I don't think too much needs to be read in that. And generally speaking, he was sound. He, he, he appreciated the, the, the kind of concerns of the supporters and all that stuff. Now he's a company man and he's not going to come out and say these owners are despicable leeches, even though, you know, he made his feelings pretty clear in the during the time of the takeover. He was one of us rather than one of them. Um, but now he's, you know, his position in that is a little more murky. Um, there was a protest yesterday outside Old Trafford. A very decent number of people there. Um, lots of uh, lots of social media footage doing the rounds of of that. Um, some remarkable photos. Lots of green and gold everywhere, and and there's a sense of momentum. And I think next week um, there's going to be a much better organised, much bigger. Because uh, this was obviously United were away, weren't they, this this weekend? But there's the home game uh, against Liverpool next weekend, and I think there's going to be a, a fairly massive uh, protest um, for that yeah. one. I said, was it Arsenal? I mean, and yeah. I mean, it was it was 
Chelsea fans, wasn't it, that that um, came out first because they had a home game as this came out last Sunday. Arsenal fans um, en masse at the Emirates protesting. Um, we've seen protests at Liverpool. I don't know, have we seen these City fans? I think they're happy with their lot, aren't they, City? Um, and and I'm sure next weekend will be will be a really big protest. And I hope it is because, you know what, it works. It works to a certain extent. Now, I I don't think, despite you know a few stories floated in the media, I, I don't think the Glazers are on the cusp of selling the the club, um, and um, and the government. Um, I will, you know, eat my hat and anything else you want if the government like legislated for fifty plus one. So I think there are limits to what can be achieved, uh, but it's you know that that voice and the using the momentum that fans have right now is really important, you know? So I hope it's a huge protest. So COVID safe, wear your mask, people. Um, so the, that's, which is very different from the message being put out by Red Issue, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, the, uh, the, um, the government have initiated a, uh, review led by an MP who I heard on Football Ramble, I think it was, is either a qualified um, referee or qualified football coach, certainly somebody who knows football anyway. Um, that's going to, I suspect, be probably quite in-depth and um, might bring about some recommendations for actual changes in the written. I read a list of the kind of, um, uh, what's it called, the parameters of that. Um, not the parameters, there's another word. But anyway, the, the things they're going to be Scope. looking at uh yeah the scope exactly the scope of that um review and it does look interesting and the 50 plus one thing will be discussed by i mean i i suggest that it seems unlikely in our hyper capitalist system that that's going to happen it would be phenomenal and and it would be an easy win for the government because you know football is small big business so um the government could actually afford to to take a kind of like much like american sports in the most kind of capitalist country on earth the sports are run like a socialist utopia um you know of equality um they could they could mind you the ownership is not <laughs> running a socialist no. utopia but anyway um it's possible that would be an easy win for the government um, if they were to do that. So um, we had the uh, the Red Knights sending an open letter back to Joel Glazer saying basically, um, okay, now reduce your family's share. If you want to rebuild trust, reduce your family's share to no more than 49.99% um, and uh, also sell us the shares at a discount in an act of good faith. I'm like... Yeah. All right, lads. Well, I mean, worth a, worth yeah. a go, isn't it? Worth Chances. a go. Chances. Yeah. yeah. Um, Trying to jib their way into owning the club. Yeah, good. Good one. Yeah. Um, and uh, what I would say is, like, you know, you said protest works, and it, it clearly has in this case. Um, what does protest achieve at United? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't protest. I'm saying what's, a, what's the victory condition? Because the win state here is the Glazers leave and we end we end up with less despicable ownership now of course i mean the, the glazers are talking about the company being worth uh, th- there was a leak today that they they want 4 billion for united you you uh, you had a look at some of the numbers there ed in terms of uh, the amount that they were they're currently generating and whether it's worth 4 billion to buy united yeah well it's not <laughs> so the the the, the market um, that would be about 40% over current market cap um, so you know you you would get a premium goodwill premium for a, a takeover for sure 
Um, and if there was a serious buyer out there, you'd see that in the numbers and the market hasn't responded to any of that um, at the moment uh, because there's not a serious buyer out there. And the, the yield the company produces is very, very small. This is not a good investment. You know, it's a sort of holds as a portfolio of stuff uh, being a fairly safe bet because it's a, what, a couple of dollars up on IPO. So um, it's you make more money on that than sticking it in government bonds or under the, your mattress. But, you know, an index fund with a produced uh, twice the value or more than twice the value, in fact. So, you know, this isn't a great investment. investment. Um, Four billion isn't much. I mean, there's plenty of private equity firms that, that hold um, lots more assets under, under management than this. But it's kind of what do we get next, you know, for a um, kind of benevolent dictator model of some kind of probably Middle East prince um, uh, owning United for a soft power play or a, a you know, a, or a tech billionaire um, uh, as a trophy asset, you know, are they going to be better? Maybe not. Um, and if it is private equity, then They'll be running the club much like other private equity groups that got into football recently, and there's quite a few. They'll be running it to to make a profit, so we might not like that either. Yeah, so I mean, uh, and and fan ownership is not a utopia. Like fan ownership is hugely complex, and and you know, Schalke have just gone down, uh, yeah. absolute shambles of a club. I mean, Barcelona are, you know, effectively, you know, the socios elect the president of Barcelona. And I mean, it's a bit like the the British constitution, right? Where you elect the, pri- the prime minister, well, you don't elect the prime minister, but the, you elect the party. And then if they've got a majority, they can literally do what they like for five years. It's a bit like that in Barcelona, I guess. Um, yes. And, and that's not always good, is it? As we found out. And, no. and those who are currently residing behind bars have found out too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, you know, there, there aren't simple answers to this. So what is the win condition for the protesting? What do we, what, yeah. What are we looking for? If it, if we're some saying... kind of meaningful say, at least you know. So yeah. if Tracy Crouch's review, she's the uh, who's that's, leading this um, this uh, this group, former sports minister, um, and you know, fairly sensible for a Tory. Uh, you know, the limits on that sense. Um, but but if if it comes out with something that's that is like, well, fan, you know, clubs must have a forum, or it's recommended they have a forum, or some kind of nonsense, right? Where um, the clubs, you know, have to roll this out once a year to to appease the fans um, and people get a bit shouty for a bit, but nothing serious happens. You know, that's kind of the whole review is a waste of time then. Um, what the big clubs don't want, of course, is uh, the thing they fear, perhaps even more than some kind of golden chair system, 50 plus one, or some kind of fans on board system, is... Um, an independent regulator who would be there to level the playing field, right? That's what you get in all industries where you have a regulator. It's to it's to make sure it's fair for consumers, for producers, for the ecosystem of businesses, whatever it is, right? And and in this case, they would say, well, football as a whole industry makes X amount of money, but ninety five percent of it goes to the biggest clubs. That doesn't look very fair to me. We'll mm. we'll you know we'll redistribute in some way. Um, and so that's what the big clubs will be trying to avoid most of all, because in United's case, that reduces United's profit profitability, and and you know for some of the other clubs, it will reduce their ability to to spend, um, and and you know produce the kind of thing that's given them all this great PR, right? So, um, 
you asked what the win state is. The win state clearly is some kind of meaningful representation um, with teeth. I, I would be astonished, as I said, if, if something like something akin to 50 plus one comes in. I don't think you can retroactively fit that onto to football. Um, in fact, you know, we talked about on the last podcast a lot about history of the game. That's never been a state in English football. So it'd be very hard to then go and impose it, much as we might like it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Um, but but something that gives consultation to fans as a minimum and meaningful consultation, um, I hope that's something that comes out of here. Yeah, but to, for it to have teeth, it has to have legislation behind it. And there's no talk of that right now. Yeah, and, and what does that, what does it even look like? You know, I guess one of the things that happened in so uh, in 2010, there's been a lot of footage doing around from the protests in 2010. There, there were massive protests in 2005 um, when when the ownership when the the leverage buyout happened, and then protests sort of bubbled away. And then in 2010, um, basically they refinanced the debt in a big way they took out these pick loans they heaping more and more debt and those pick loans were so dangerous and you know we covered this at length at the time on the show um and there was a there was a massive new wave of protest and that was when the green and gold campaign began green and gold till the club is sold um the glazers didn't take a dividend uh the tv rights happened the debt was refinanced in a much more sustainable way and uh those protests went quite quiet especially since um united won the league a lot and won the champions i mean they won the champions league in 2008 and the protests were in 2010 so you know but there was this sort of enough success around and enough money being spent on players i think sadly um to sort of keep the keep the debate just in the background just lots of angry voices not being heard and lots of people just kind of getting on with their lives um really the the kind of then the meaningful anti-glazer sentiment has been um you know i'm talking about on the mass scale i'm not talking about people have been activists the whole way through has really coincided with bad transfer windows for the most part and and been really kind of like not doing any of us any favours. I mean, we've seen in the last two years uh, the, the letters L-U-H-G be co-opted by a bunch of weird Mourinhoistas. Like, this is has gone really weird in the last couple of years. And, you know, people with that little green and gold symbol in their, their Twitter um, name, that's kind of been synonymous with We Hate Ollie Solskjaer in the last two years, which is absolutely crazy um compared yes. to what it used to mean so so it's all got quite muddy and quite mm, non, non ineffective and but hopefully this will bring a new energy behind a movement to actually get these owners out of our club you know yeah so look um i i think mass protests help control or co-opt the media narrative right so that's one aim um, the the review with the sports minister or former sports minister is is slightly different, and I think there fan organised fans groups like um, the supporters trust, whether you like them or not, and you know whether you agree with leadership or not, is the route this has to go through. You know, so organised representation of a community's views, and there'll be an opportunity to present evidence, um, written and and probably in person, and that is the route. Uh, and and that's how and you know organizing that in a super professional way will be how you influence government 
um, the you know ma- mass protests will will you know hog the back pages, and mm. that's important. And it might not shift the Glazers to sell because they're in Tampa and they couldn't give a toss, you know. And as we saw with Avran Glazer this week, just does doesn't matter to him. He sold a hundred million or trying to sell a hundred million pounds worth of United shares, um, those without any voting rights, because um, he just needs the money for I don't know what. You know, his his new, lifestyle. New trousers. He could, he could, yeah, new trousers and a bloody haircut. I mean, <laughs> why a man with almost no hair decides to have a wispy ponytail at the back? I mean, he looks well, like... because he has only no... I mean, there's a... Yeah, but it's like, it's it's nasty. It's, it's uh, he, he looks like, if you said, what does a scrotum look like in human form? He looks like that, you know? Tom, Tom, Tom producer Tom, bit of a red top. He's got a fire crotch or a frock as it's known in the business. You know, check out Tom's ball sack. Avram Glazer, separated at birth. Wow, you've just ruined the show. <laughs> um, anyway, um, the... the oh, um, I'm just... Well, a, it's a podcast, so, you know, you have to, you have to create the... You have to create the vision, don't you? Yeah, well, you're you've thinking done, about it now, though. You've done you? much, much too good a job at creating the vision, and, and I hate it. And like, not even, not even sponsored by well-known grooming company, um, whose name I'm not going to mention because they're not giving us any money. Never did, by the way. Just product. Um, uh, <laughs> um, anyway, that um, that whole uh, arena of ownership. Uh, there's, it's got. We'll, we'll be covering this as it as it goes on, and it's going to run and run. And and the the opposition of the Glazers at various different points has been about the the very existence of Manchester United as an institution. Right now, it's about the cultural. It's existential in a cultural sense. Like it's um, if Manchester United is to exist, what does it mean? And we absolutely cannot, as a collective, accept it being part of the worst group of clubs in football i mean it is anyway but not to the not to this extent not to 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 being so greedy that their vast personal wealths aren't enough they want more vast personal wealth and more power and more influence and more and more and more and more and they don't deserve any of it and it's uh it's heartening that they didn't get this so a team that yeah. wasn't involved but could theoretically have been at various points in the 90s or 2000s was uh, was Roma. And um, should we take a quick break at an hour into the show and uh, and come back and talk about Roma? So Roma then, ah, Bella Roma. Um, seen? Have you ever seen um, Rome Open City? Uh, the, no. the it's like a neo-realist nineteen forties film that was made on um, like stock that was reclaimed from propaganda film libraries and stuff. Uh, it's a fantastic film about uh, the opposition to the, the resistance against the Nazi Party in Rome. Um, phenomenal well like you know when people recommend old olden days classics and you're like oh don't think i can face an olden days classic today it's one of those where it's like no just it's just a really good film so anyway um where are they in Serie A? that's the key question 
They're seventh, and they um, with a mixed bag of results. One win in the, their past five Serie A uh, games. It are looks we, like they're going to. Are we giving them credit for mixed results with one win in their last five Serie? A? Isn't that bad <laughs> results? <laughs> well, uh, you know they're seventh. Uh, it looks like they're going to miss out on European football, so they are currently eight points behind Napoli, uh, uh, and Napoli have a game in hand in the search for a UEFA Cup spot. I mean. I guess there is, um, since European football was not annihilated, uh, there will be the Europa Conference uh, that they may be able to get into. I mean, you know, halfway down the the big leagues will get a spot in the Europa Conference. So um, maybe they're chasing that glory. Uh, but they're definitely not going to make the Champions League, uh, you know, 11 points behind Juve now. Uh, and and um, Daniel Fonseca, the manager, young manager, almost certainly going to get the boot in the summer. Um, he has a you know, clause in his contract that says uh, he, his contract gets renewed if they make the Champions League. It's not going to happen. So, you know, this is the last shot at glory for him. Uh, and, um, and and we'll see. You know, I think they, United should have too much quality, um, you know, clearly, given their sort of respective results this season. Um, but uh, Roma have got this far in the competition. Um, they, you know, they have, they do have some, you know, decent players, including Chris Smalling, as, assuming he's recovered from rather traumatic break-in at his house in the past week or so. Um, uh, yeah, so they they lost today to Cagliari in spite of fielding a reasonably strong side. Their top scorer in the um, in Serie A this season is Henrik Mkhitaryan, um, who has nine goals and eight assists. Is their what is their most creative and important player by miles and miles and miles? And if your most important player is Henrik Mkhitaryan, then uh, it's likely that your results are going to be flaky because he sure is a flaky player to have as a talisman. He's been much less successful in their European campaign. I wonder if some of that is just down to him um him playing less uh, in in the european games in fact he only has um yeah he has he has uh, uh just uh, like 400 odd minutes in the europa league this season and to put that in comparison their their europa league goalkeeper has almost a thousand uh, minutes in the competition their top scorer uh, in europe this season has been uh, borja mayoral um yep they're forward yeah who is a uh, uh, spanish forward um and then edin jeco who's been um been banging him in uh, well he has seven goals in the league and uh four in the europa league 35 year old edin jeco so it's not like they haven't got um some some threats to united but you you would imagine not i mean i haven't seen them i haven't seen them kick a ball this season but you would imagine given the kind of players that we're talking about um, that on their day, United will have easily more than enough. But the, the question becomes, is the semi-final thing really a thing? Because we have never played well under Oli Solskjaer in a semi-final of any competition. No, and it's the thing I was, I was um, starting to talk about earlier. You know, what approach do United take to this? I mean, um, is, is Oli going to take the risk of going um, all out. I mean, the, the first game is at Old Trafford. Um, are United going to play with two in a double pivot at Old Trafford in a semi-final and the, then be under pressure for the the return leg next week? You know, and and, and I think that is going to make a big difference. United can take this by the scruff of the neck. I mean, Roma were, were decent actually against Ajax. And it's a decent Ajax side. Um, not a great one, obviously. 
Um, so you know, I think we got a. I think we get a good benchmark about their level, and uh, they clearly do have trouble scoring. And um, Mayoral, Jeco, both single figures. Vertu has scored from midfield this season as well. Um, and so you know, that's that's a challenge, and why they've got that mixed bag of results. But they're not coming into this with great form. Um, they they got through the quarterfinal on uh, the basis of of um, their strong showing in Amsterdam. Um, rather than the second leg, and you know the Ajax had some really good opportunities in that second leg too. So you know, I think United can afford to be fairly bold in this one and go for it, um, which which would be you know Pogba in the side, but not at the expense of say Greenwood, um, uh, presuming that um, Cavani Cavani starts. You know, so we go with the front three of Rashford, Cavani, Greenwood, and Pogba in there. Centre and midfield, will that happen? It's um it's it's a really good question. Um yeah, I I I wonder I, I would I don't know, the thing is we're we're at the point now where if you play Pogba on the left, you you gotta assume Cavani is nailed on to start given that he didn't start this game. Um and he's got you know, top level experience and all these kinds of things. I mean, all these players have, have got some some pretty high level experience um, of of these kind of games. But I don't. I really don't know. I, I mean, you'd you'd hope in a way that he'd play Pogba alongside McTominay or Fred, and then he would play Fernandez, Rashford, Cavani, and Greenwood um, as a as a a front four. I just think it's very unlikely. I just, I just don't, I just don't think it's very li- likely. And I, I think if Greenwood had scored today, he'd have done himself no harm. And the fact that Greenwood didn't play brilliantly today, he didn't play badly, and his movement was actually pretty good. And he's been in really good form generally lately. Um, I'd be more confident that he'd be playing. But you, you Pogba's definitely going to start. Cavani's definitely going to start. Rashford and Bruno are definitely going to start. Um, and and I'm sure the defense will be De Gea. Because for some reason now you don't pick your number one goalkeeper in semi-finals. Um, just keep playing. Yes, your this is keepers. now the important tournament, Ollie. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's that. You know, Sergio Romero played the semi-final, uh, the final of the Europa League a few years ago, and I'm sure it's going to be De Gea. Um, but Shaw will play, um, and it will be Lindelof and Maguire, and it will be Wan Bissaka. Um, I'm going to guess that he's going to play McFred, Pogba, Cavani, Rashford. That's my guess. Yes, and and um, I, I think that's probably most likely. But in that, there's you know two big compromises: Rashford on the right, um, yep, which which he doesn't enjoy as much because he can't cut inside and shoot, um, and McFred in the middle, which means United's passing from the centre of the park isn't very vertical. You know, it's there's not a lot of progression there, and it causes all sorts of problems, which means that. You know, all the creativity has to come through Bruno, which means you've got one man to mark, um, and and you can you can see a situation where um, Roma defend and break uh, in that first game, uh, and United could struggle a bit. Yeah, and I said that they played a fairly strong team today, but I'd say they definitely made more changes than United, more of an eye on Thursday than United had in their in their team selection, where it was really just Pogba and Cavani who were properly rested uh, ahead of Thursday. So, yeah, they, did, they didn't. Is uh, Nicolo Zaniolo fit or not? I'm not sure because he didn't play today, did he? And and he's their sort of big hope um, player who could go for a lot of money in the summer market. Well, you know, pandemic lot of money. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Mkhitaryan didn't. I've 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 lost the the lineup now. But Mkhitaryan, what was the name of the player you were asking about, Ed? Sorry, Nicolo Zaniolo. Uh, no, he did not play. Um, so yeah, um, the, the, I think it's really hard to predict what um what I mean. I mean the fact that it's two legged makes a difference. I guess you you you're more likely to lean to conservative over two legs, right? Um, do you know whether the first leg is at home or away? I haven't looked this yeah, up. Yeah, first leg's at Old Trafford. Okay. And, I mean, it doesn't make that much doesn't make that much difference, but it does in terms of like away goals and stuff like that and the just the the, the shape of the tie um changes in in Yeah. Away goals in this season seems nonsense. It seems like a rule they could have got rid of, and especially when you've had some 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 teams go through on away goals where both legs of the two-legged tie have been at, at the no same ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I guess you've got to find a way that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, they might as well just toss a coin at that point, Yeah, um, I suppose. Um, so, you know, this is going to be the United show up. If United show up, I don't think this is hubris. I think if United show up, they've got too much for Roma because this is the second te- the second best team in the Premier League against the seventh best team in Serie A. So there's no two ways about it. We should have enough. It's just that I'm not confident at all that they're going to show up. That's the thing because because we got we got this because they never have in semi-finals <laughs> under Oli exactly. And and you know Sevilla last season, United really played well in some of those games that just didn't have the kind of killer instinct and the cutting edge and you know you, you hope we've learned as they've learned as a, as a kind of group um and that they, they've got a bit more about them and we've seen like certainly a, a revived Luke Shaw could be a massive difference in a game like this and you know there's a lot of reason to have hope I think that Burnley game you know showed that there's like there's a lot of spirit in this United side when their back's against the wall. We almost need to go behind early. You know, that's, that's almost what we need uh, to kind of, not necessarily in this leg, but like, I don't know, if we're sort of like one goal behind after 20 minutes of the away leg, I'll be feeling super confident. Um, I guess that even though it is Liverpool, that'll just be an afterthought, right, that game? Well, at the moment, it's not the the most important of these two ties, just because where United are in the league. Um, so I I can't imagine even even you know he'll play his full side or his his strongest side on Thursday obviously and and then Liverpool they'll just all be burnt out I, I imagine for that one so um, against the Liverpool side chasing a Champions League place unsuccessfully at the moment yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> given given that they dropped some points very very late against Newcastle which was quite amusing um, I don't know if you had a chuckle I had quite a long chuckle at that one. 34% they're down to. 34% on the old... Uh... Their share of the Super League revenue. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chelsea at 61%, boringly, um, on, on 538. Poor old West Ham. Uh, now three points behind Chelsea. Uh, it's looking, looking... Not looking good for them. No. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I couldn't really predict what kind of lineup it will be or what kind of performance we'll get against Liverpool. Um, it's, you know, Liverpool honestly need it more. Absolutely. Maybe it means more to them. This means more. That's, uh, oh my God. You know, we've talked about it from a United perspective, but the fact that, I mean, Liverpool's whole shtick, Klopp, by the way, Klopp coming out yesterday, giving it the old. You lost, move on. No, you won, move on. Like, it's done now. That's fine. It's fine. It's not happening. Like, what are you doing? 
what are you doing? I'd be saying the same if this was Solskjaer. Solskjaer has not covered himself in glory, but he has got a few easy wins of like, you know, I was really against this. I thought it was terrible. You know, sport's got to be sports. Like, easy, easy now, isn't it? <laughs> easy now, isn't it, brother? It's it's dead in the water. But, yes. You know, but I, that was really badly misguided from Klopp to come out and say I, he's, he's totally set he's he's missed the tone completely I mean oh he's, he's come across as very tone deaf yeah I think first having to go at Gary Neville and then and then yes you know basically shut up and dribble and it's it's all done now we can all move on no, it's not done now and and we are angry and and protest matters you know so um, but he he got rattled by all of this. It was interesting, and and you know he was obviously dumped in it. He didn't know anything about it, and he was one of the first to to get questions from the media. And and he probably feels like he's been thrown under the bus. He just wants it all behind him, um, which uh, which it's not. No. Uh, and and I hope we can heap misery on him by beating his side and knocking them out of contention for the Champions League. I I hope that West Ham. Um, and Everton also do well in the next five games, and and Liverpool end up in the Europa Conference. <laughs> um, I would enjoy that. I don't know what what are they going to play that on Thursday nights, or is it even more ignominious? You Friday know? nights. Um, Alex Teller scoring a hat trick. That's what's that's what's happening in that game because he's the only the only player I'm confident. There are three players that I'm confident will be on the team sheet. Although I think Maguire might have picked up a booking that means he's going to not play this game. But if that hasn't happened, then uh, Alex Tellez, Maguire, and Fernandez. <laughs> these are the three players that are definitely going to play against Liverpool. Um, uh, it's worth saying you mentioned shut up and dribble, which brings us to the topic of uh, the racial abuse of footballers. Now. It has been widely observed that the level of energy and dedication and protest and uh, unified objection and all of this to the European Super League has not necessarily been in evidence with the same ferocity of energy behind it when it comes to dealing with the rampant resurgence of racism in football. Um, I do think it's, uh, it's, there is a reason for that beyond the relative lack of care to do with the complexity to do with the relentless to do with like not having one easy target to focus all your energy on i i think that's right. part of the the reason but worth saying that the um the the entirety of the premier league and football league clubs um and i think players too are boycotting all social media platforms next weekend i mean i'm more than happy to join them in that because uh an excuse not to participate in social media. Um, but uh, it's an interesting move. I mean, lots of people have decried it as tokenism. I I, I, I suppose I understand why people have decried it as tokenism, but I, I also think it's a... It's a fairly significant token gesture. It's a, it's yeah, quite a big I think, deal. I think so. It's yeah. We talked about um, where protest works, where it's narrowly focused, and I think one of the challenges with with um, dealing with you know this narrow topic of racism in football and the football community, and it directed at uh, in particular players, is that you know who who you're protesting against, you know, and and um, and so that was easy to to find the enemy with the Super League stuff. This is, it's been a very long time coming. We should say that, you know, this is um, at least an organised effort to put pressure on social media companies. Right? It's not going to solve the societal problems. It's not going to, it's not a systemic um, solution. 
what it's saying is you social media companies can and must do more if you want our patronage as fans and as clubs and as brands um, because that's one of the reasons why people come to your platforms and how you make money through advertising. Um, so, you know, and 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 boycotts of media in, in all its form in the past has had, does put pressure on, on media to do the right thing. So I don't know whether this will um, get Twitter to improve its algorithm or... Or police its platform more. Um, none of these, none of these companies want to do it, you know. And it's partly it's about resourcing and money, but mostly it's it's that they want to be seen as um, neutral hosts uh, that are not the publishers and therefore are not responsible. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, legally in the US, they are. You know, Section two twenty of the Telecommunications Act, you know, makes uh, says that they are not responsible for the content on there on their networks, unlike a telecommunications company. So, um, yeah, and they want to retain that as much as possible. They are trying to have their cake and eat it, of course, by also at the same time saying, yeah, we're doing even more. We've got AI algorithms that take content down and that kind of stuff. And, you know, try posting a goal from the Premier League and that gets zapped in about three seconds, doesn't it? So, you know, I don't know whether this will have an impact, but it is something. Football community organised to do something. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, that you know, um, there is this uh, constant cynical need to shout down any protest as not enough. And, and you know, I saw somebody tweet about the protests, the United fans outside Old Trafford. Some of them are just doing it for clicks. And I kind of want to say at this point, don't worry about it. Let let some people do it for clicks. By the way, those people serve the ends of the protest because those clicks are um, happening, raising some awareness of the protest, probably supportive of the protest. Don't worry if some people get some social media clout out of it. A lot of people that are being accused of only doing it for social media clout probably care passionately about the club and only do United social media stuff because it's their dream to cover United and they're doing it from a fan's perspective. Like, let's not fight each other let's not get super people's front of judea judean people's front about all of this um yes there doesn't need to be a purity test no uh, and 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 you know none, none of these are silver bullets for sure solving either the problem of greedy owners and and the, the problems in the stru- you know structure of football or or racism in our game um not going to solve the problem but yeah i don't care if they're a bunch of fan cams um at the protest yesterday and it wasn't the kind of Official organized big thing. So what? You know, it's coverage. It's uh, keep keep the momentum going. I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, we, we've spent an hour of our last three podcasts talking about it. Yeah, we've been talking about ESL for clicks, Paul. We're, <laughs> we're part of the problem. <laughs> Oh, well, one another thing doing the rounds this week, TalkSport had um, Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV on ostensibly to talk about uh, this issue. And Ray Parler starts going, oh, you're just trying to make money out of Arsenal losing. And uh, it just kind of bring, brings up the debate once again about like fan channels like it when their teams lose because uh, because they get more revenue. And it's... <laughs> These people have never seen our CMS back end. If you think that, yes. that fan coverage gets more co- con- gets more attention when your team loses, you want to see our numbers, bro. Like, it's not how it works. <laughs> um, anyway, um, all that being said, 
uh, we have to do the thing that we have to do on the show. We have to make a prediction for the score of these two games, even though one of them is so heavily dependent on the other one that we can't even begin to imagine what the t- starting lineup will be like. But let's do it. I'm going to say 1-0 to United on Thursday night against Roma and 0-0 versus Liverpool. I am going to say, oh dear, I've just worked out what I'm going to say and it's bad. Um, but I'm going to, no, I'm going to say we're going to beat Roma comfortably. I'm going to go with a 2-0 win over Roma and uh, a finally a good showing in the semi-final. And then unfortunately, I think that a Liverpool team that needs to win against a United team that has almost nothing riding on it between two legs of a European semi-final, I think that's going to be a Liverpool win. Uh, so I'll say... Two one to them. Boo. Boo. Hopefully, we just get a ninety seventh minute penalty or something like that. Yeah, that'd be ideal. Um, a massive protest, though. That's what we want to see. Um, if you are able to go, go, go safely. Look after yourselves. Look after the people around you. Those things. Um, yeah. And uh, oh yeah, pick up your litter as well because Old Trafford was absolutely trashed um, after the thing on Saturday. But anyway, um, take good care. Um, and just a quick word, uh, I know we have lots of, um, people listening to the show in India where things are super duper rough. We're sending lots and lots of love, uh, to you guys and stay safe and, um, you know, do all the smart stuff and don't do the, don't do the dumb stuff. Yes. I echo that. Yeah. Stay safe. Uh, if you're going to the protests or wherever you are around the world and, and we'll speak to you next week. Yeah, absolutely. Much love everyone. (laughs) 